Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. If you're a visitor with us this morning, we are working our way through the gospel of Luke verse by verse. We are now starting chapter 18. So we've been here for a long time. It's about two years now we've been working through this book. In the previous section, we looked at the last two weeks, chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. The already not yet kingdom of God. The already meaning the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated at his first coming. Inaugurated in his presence, in his ministry here on earth. It was the inauguration of the kingdom. But it it didn't fully come. It will one day be consummated. It's the already not yet kingdom that we see in the scriptures. Inaugurated at the coming of Jesus will be consummated at the second coming of Jesus. Fully realized. We will be with him. All will be well. No more sin. No more suffering. No more death. The not yet kingdom And Jesus makes clear in chapter 17 concerning his kingdom, his future kingdom, the coming kingdom, that there will be some who are rescued. Some who, like Noah, who was rescued from the flood. Some, like Lot, who was rescued with his family from Sodom and Gomorrah. There will be some, like them, who are rescued to be with the Lord forever. And that those who are left will suffer destruction, suffer God's wrath, suffer eternal punishment. Jesus says at the end of chapter 17, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather, speaking of judgment. And so everything hangs on whether we are ready for his coming or not. We talked last week from the text and Even in our life groups, if you were able to attend a life group this week, looking at other texts about how we ought to live in light of the second coming of his return. And today we're going to look at Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, and see another aspect of being ready for the return of the Lord. And so let's look there and read together these verses. Just follow along as I read, if you wouldn't mind standing Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? Who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
Your word is truth, Lord. You are good and what you do is good. And we praise you. We praise you that you have not left us without. You have given us your word that we might know how to live and we might know you. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from your word. And so we praise you for it and we pray that you would use it in our lives, in our hearts. Awaken us to the truth of the gospel. Awaken us to the glory that is you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. As we get into the text, I want to begin by looking at the end of this text that we just read. In verse 8, Jesus says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, here's what we should take from that. Here's what we can know from that. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, are not just a nice prayer passage that is there that we can just lift out of context and use it however we want to help us simply with prayer. Luke didn't just put it here because he didn't know where else to put it. It fits. It's here on purpose. Jesus is talking about the end times, the end of the age, and the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus ends this parable with, will he find us trusting in him? Or looking back like Lot's wife? This text belongs with the kingdom of God text at the end of Luke 17. He's coming. He's going to return. So how do we wait? How do we look ahead here in these last days? How do we long for his coming? How do we wait for his coming? What do we do in this season that's, that's considered the end of the age? We pray. And we pray. And we pray. And we pray. And so I want to look at four things from the text today. In this parable, in Jesus' comments to the parable, we have four simple things we learn about prayer. Not that prayer is simple, but just four simple things we see from this text. First of all, how we ought to pray. How we ought to pray. Secondly, what we should pray for. Third, why we pray. And fourth, who we pray to. So first, how we ought to pray. How should we pray? Well, the quick answer to that in light of the text is always, always, always. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Rejoice always, pray, and help me here. What's he say? Pray Without ceasing. Most of you know what that verse says, but some of you may stumble over that. How do we pray without ceasing? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Pray, 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 pray. Just keep praying. Keep coming to the Lord. That's what he's leading us to in this parable. In fact, the text begins, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Keep coming. Keep praying. Pray without ceasing. Pray always. 
And so he tells this parable, he tells the story about a widow. Widows were a symbol of helplessness. Those who didn't have much, didn't have those to help them. In fact, that's why Paul gives so many specifics about how the body ought to help widows in 1 Timothy. She's a widow. She's helpless. And something unjust has taken place. She's the victim of an injustice. We don't know what it was. We just know there's an injustice that has happened. Something had been done against her. And what we see from the parable is that this woman, this widow, to whom there's been an injustice, decides she's going to go to the judge. He'll make things right. He'll do the right thing. And so she comes to the judge asking for justice. Asking him to do the right thing. Now consider the parable. Here you have this widow, helpless. She comes to the judge. She says to the judge, give me justice against my adversary. We see in verse 4, it says, for a while he refused. So she comes and he refuses. Many people in the widow's situation would just give up. She has nothing to bargain with, and that's probably what the judge is waiting on. He's an unrighteous judge. That probably means he's stingy and selfish and come back with a bribe, come back with something to offer me, and justice will be given. But she has nothing to bargain with. She has nothing to offer him. Most people in her circumstance would just give up. But she doesn't give up. She keeps coming. She believed that justice was deserved and should be given. So she just keeps coming back to this judge. Give me justice against my adversary. Here's the thing as we consider last week's text and the week before. We're in the last days. We know that from Acts chapter 2. It's been the last days since Jesus was resurrected and ascended. We're in the last days. We're waiting for his second coming. We're like the widow. We are like the widow. The world is broken. Injustices abound. And how are we to respond in light of the fact that we know that Jesus is coming back? So often we are prone to come to Jesus asking something and we give up. We surrender. If he doesn't give us what we want right away, we just fizzle out. Here's this widow. She has nothing to bargain with, nothing to offer. Jesus says, just look and observe her. Look how she lives. Look how she comes to this judge again and again and again and again. Jesus is coming back, so pray and pray and pray. That's what Jesus is saying here. 
So often when we see no sign of the answer that we long for, it's easy to become discouraged. And certainly that would have been the case for this widow. Certainly she must have been discouraged. But Jesus tells the parable so that we will never give up, so that we will keep praying, so that we won't lose heart. This text belongs with the end of the age text. He's coming, and with him, justice is coming. That's what we learned in the previous text. He's coming, and justice is coming with him. So pray, and pray, and pray. So we ought to always pray. And secondly, what should we pray for? Well, this is a question, right? What should we be praying for? Well, if we're to use this text as our answer, then one of the things we ought to be praying for is justice. You notice that, right? That's what she's praying for. Lord, make things right. Judge, make things right. This is broken. This is not right. Make things right. I think in my own heart and in my life, in my walk, my previous desire to understand and interpret this text as a whatever it is, whatever your desire is, whatever it is you want to ask of the Lord, just ask him. And keep asking. Don't give up. Just keep asking him. Keep going to him and asking him. And eventually, if you just are faithful enough, whatever it is you're asking for, and you just keep asking, it's going, you're going to break through at some point. And he's going to give you whatever it is. I think when we think that way, I know for myself it revealed in me that I didn't long for his return as I should. I've noticed at times in my life, even recently in my life, this pattern that the majority of my praying is for the wrong kingdom. I'm praying that this kingdom would be sweeter, not that that kingdom would come. We ought to be praying for justice, for righteousness. That ought to be the desire of our hearts And that's not to say that we should never pray for desires and needs. What does Jesus tell us when we pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Certainly that is a desire and need that I have, right? For here, for now. That's not for later. That's not for the coming kingdom. So he tells us there are things. But ultimately, what does he say in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first his kingdom. And all these things will be given Unto you. Don't worry about those things. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. And shouldn't my praying be shaped by an understanding that Jesus is coming back? He's going to return. He's coming. And shouldn't my praying be filled with a desire and longing for that? Give me justice. For us to pray for justice is to pray, your kingdom come, Lord. 
Lord, let the qualities that characterize your kingdom come here now. Ultimately, it's praying with John, come, Lord Jesus. Bring righteousness. Bring justice to this broken world. Lord, things are broken. Injustices abound. Come. In Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10, we get this picture. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? When will you come and bring justice, Lord? When will you bring justice to this broken world? And what we learn, what we know from the scriptures is he is coming and with him justice. And what Jesus asks in the text is what will he find when he comes? What will he find? Will he find faith? Will he find us waiting? Will he find us not losing heart? Will he find us praying? Will he find us watching? Jesus is teaching Pray and pray and pray. Come, come, Lord Jesus. What should we pray for? Give me justice against my adversary. Ultimately, our adversary is Satan. And our hope is he was crushed. He was conquered on the cross. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's accomplished that. He's done that. And certainly there are injustices here on the earth that abound. And we pray even for that. Lord, give us justice, Lord. Make things right, Lord. But even in our waiting, we wait on Him. We trust in Him. We looked a few weeks ago at Romans chapter 12 Beginning with verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Injustices abound around us, but even in our praying, we are trusting ourselves as we pray, Lord, Give us justice against our adversary. We are trusting in him and praying helps us to do that, helps us to overcome. What do we pray for? We pray for justice. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. Third, why do we pray? Why should we pray? Look at the end of the text beginning with verse 7 and Let's begin with verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Think about that. 
Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? We pray because we are the elect. You consider that. Consider what that means. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Think about the gospel story. Think about the fact that the scriptures call you the elect. If you are in Christ, you are blessed, you are the elect, you are holy, you are blameless, you are beloved. Think about that. At one time, you were enemies of God. God opposed you. Because of your sin, he rightly opposed you. And in his grace, he gave grace. He awakened you, enabling you to delight in him. He sent his son all of the punishment that you deserved, all of it, placed on his son on the cross. God's wrath for your sin placed on his son on the cross. And he calls you his children. You are the elect. And what Jesus infers here is the elect pray. They cry to him day and night. Why do they do that? Because people who are awakened to the fact that God is beautiful and loving and gracious and kind. And they realize I was an enemy of him and he did something to rescue me and invite me in and give me access. I'm not dead any longer. I'm alive because of Jesus. I'm no longer asleep in slumber. I'm awake because of Jesus. I'm no longer enslaved to sin. I'm free because of Jesus logically, it just makes sense if you hear the story of the gospel. What do people who are awakened by this God do? They pray. They pray. It's not just evidence of election. It is a privilege of election that we are invited in. We're now adopted as sons of God. It is a privilege of election that we are invited into God. When we pray now, he hears us. When we prayed when we were dead, nothing. 
And now we are told that we can pray to him and he listens to us. He hears us. We have fellowship with him. It only makes sense that our response would be, I want to pray. I want to have fellowship with this God who would rescue me and save me. We have access to the Father through Jesus. So pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. What a wonderful thought. That once being excluded, we've received mercy. I can talk to the king now. And so I will pray. I want to pray. The elect realize that they are like the widow. They have no hope in themselves and no hope in what the world has to offer them. They're not looking back like Lot's wife. They are looking upward and onward to salvation. That's what they do. And so they cry to him day and night, come Lord Jesus, give us justice. Bring righteousness. And fourth, who we pray to. Now certainly this could have been the answer to why we pray. God is why we pray. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. They can't see how glorious God is. But verse 6, the God who spoke light into darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Which means God in his grace turned the lights on, took the scales off of our eyes. So we see God is great. And how could I want anything other than him? How could I want anything as much as him? I want you, God. What must I do to be saved? Verse 7, Jesus says to those he's speaking with, his disciples, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? Jesus in this parable is not comparing or likening God to an unjust judge. He's not saying, he's not telling the parable so that we'll get an idea of God that if, you know, he's, he's bothered by us coming and, you know, sometimes he does the right thing and sometimes he doesn't do the right thing and if we can, if we can offer him the right amount or do the right thing, then he may give in to us. But if we pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, we're going to wear God down. And eventually he's just going to be fed up, tired of us coming, and he's going to give us what we're asking for. That's certainly not what Jesus is doing. What he's saying is, how much more, how much better is God? How great is God? If a wicked man will sometimes do what is right, how much more right will God bring? God is not like men. God is not like this unrighteous judge. He will not delay in bringing justice. There's a day appointed. He will come. He will come. 
He's coming. And we may respond to verses 7 and 8, and, and even in our hearts or, or even with our mouths, we may say something like, well, it seems like he's delayed, and it seems like he's not speedy. But there's a day, and when it comes, it will be like lightning that lights up the earth. Peter addressed this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Those who, who look at the gospel story, look at those of us who trust in the Lord and, and hope in his coming, and, and, and they may say, well, where is he? <laughs> Been 2,000 years. Where is this God? Where is this Son who is coming? Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. He's coming. God's delay, God's waiting is patience. It's in order to give people time to repent. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today and that's you. And God's giving you time to repent. As you consider the the story of the Bible, the gospel narrative, the good news that Jesus came to earth and he said, I'm coming again. Anyone who trusts in me will have eternal life. But, but those who do not trust in me will be lost. They're lost. They're not saved. They're lost. As you consider that and consider that in light of, of the brokenness of the world and the hope that we have in Jesus, maybe he's being patient toward you, that you would repent, that you would stop living for this world and surrender to him. Those of us who trust in him, we ought to be praying to that end, working and speaking to that end, that, that what some would consider slowness in the Lord's return would be fruitful. We pray to the one who is so much greater than any earthly judge. Holy, 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 the angels cry. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And we don't approach this God the way that we would approach an unrighteous judge. In fact, Jesus says earlier in Luke, in Luke 11, Verses 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Consider that. 
Jesus, the Son of God, word in the flesh, never lies, can't lie, says to you, come and ask. Ask God for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you want the Holy Spirit more than you want any earthly thing, okay? We want that. The Holy Spirit is confirmation, guarantee of our inheritance, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. We want the Spirit. And the Spirit produces in us fruit that glorifies God. We want the Spirit. There's nothing greater that we could ask for from God than His Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, this wonderful gift of the Spirit. If you fathers who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. When they come to you and ask, if they ask you for a fish, you're not going to give them uh, a scorpion, something that's going to harm them. How much more? How much more? Will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He will grant His Spirit. He will equip you to overcome by His Spirit. In Luke 12, verse 32, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Who are we praying to? We're not praying to a God, Father, who is unjust and unwilling to give his kingdom to us, who's somehow withholding it, somehow hiding it from us. No, Jesus says, come. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Come and pray and ask him, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. This is the Father that we pray to. This is the God. This is why we pray and who we pray to. Who loves like no one else could ever loves us and saves us from sin and death. This is the God we come to and pray to through Jesus Christ. Do you know Him as Father? Are you ready for His coming? I would... I would ask you if you today would say, I don't know him that way. I don't know him as father. I don't know him as savior. My prayer would be that you today would surrender to him, that you would repent of your sins and turn to him, that even as we sing, our prayer room will be open in the back of the lobby. Dave and Caressa Crandall will be there. Would love to pray with you today. Would encourage you to go there. But for those of us who know him, the only reason that we have access to the Father, the only reason we can pray and know that he hears us is because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. We have no hope apart from that. The blood of Jesus washes us clean, makes us holy and blameless before him. And when Jesus leads us to partake of the Lord's Supper, which we're about to do, he leads us to partake of the cup together. He says to do this in remembrance, to remember his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Remember 
We have access to the Father because of the sacrifice of the Son. Because His body was broken and His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. That is what gives us access to the Father. And so as we prepare our hearts to take the bread and the cup, we do this remembering. We're granted access. We have communion. We have fellowship with the Lord by his body broken and blood shed. And that ought to lead us to partake with praise and thankfulness in our hearts. So I'd encourage you, even as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, that you would consider how are you responding to the grace of God? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will he find us watching? Will he find us waiting? Will he find us praying? Are we a prayerful people? Do we delight in the truth that he has welcomed us in through his Son? And do we come running again and again and again and again? Do we pray because we have been rescued? Do we pray because we love him? Do we pray because we trust him? Do we pray because we long for justice? We long for him to come. We long for him to bring righteousness and restore this broken world. Are we praying? Are we trusting him? When he comes, will he find us faithful? Will he find faith on the earth? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. I confess to you this morning, you know this is the desire of my heart for my own life and for the life of this body that we would be known as a watchful people, a people of prayer, a people that believe the gospel, a people that act like sons and daughters, joyfully coming to their Father, trusting in Him, praying, Lord, believing that You are good Your throne is a righteous throne of justice. And when you come, you will bring justice to this broken world. Lord, help us to be a people who go to you and pray for justice. Who long for your coming. Who would pray with joy in our hearts, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done. That we pray like this widow, give us justice against our adversary and then rejoice in the gospel of Jesus. Knowing that the heel of Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. And that we are made alive. We love you, Lord, and we praise you for... Jesus, you've shown your love for us. You demonstrate your love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So help us, Lord, as we sing and as we prepare to take the bread and the cup with joy in our hearts to contemplate these truths. And if any of us are in a place, Lord, where we need to repent, we haven't been living as if you are our king, believing that you are the one to bring justice. 
coming to you like this widow again and again and again and again, trusting in you for what is right. I pray that you would bring conviction and repentance and belief in the gospel that we are forgiven, we're made new in Christ, and that together as your body we would partake of the bread and the cup in a worthy manner that glorifies you and proclaims your greatness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.